All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of the Bow Rush Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Stowe. You're listening to episode 39. This is the continuance of episode 38 when we were speaking with Aaron Nelson about Africa. So if you haven't listened to that yet, before you go into this episode, backtrack and start listening to episode 38 because you're gonna absolutely love it. But if that you have heard it, awesome. This is the continuance. I hope you enjoy it. Well, you know, let's jump into, if you don't mind, uh, but let's jump into North America. Okay. What type of hunts that you've done or that you would think that would be exciting in North America that would also help give someone the idea to potentially one day shoot for doing an international hunt, but a hunt that's actually done in America first? Well... I mean, listen, obviously that's going to come down to, you know, first personal preference. But, you know, anytime you start talking about traveling for hunting, certainly Canada and Alaska probably would pique people's interest much more so than just another, you know, just another elk hunt in the mountains, if you will. Oh, yeah. You know, I've been to Alaska many times. I've been all across uh, Canada hunting, really love it. Moose, sheep, bears, that sort of thing. Any of that stuff would certainly peak, uh, I think would peak the interest of the adventure hunter. But I, I will tell you without any question, the only continent that I haven't hunted on is Antarctica. And it's like I told Scott, I mean, they don't they don't issue penguin licenses, so uh, I probably won't be going there. But if I had to pick one hunt that was ever the greatest adventure I've ever been on, unquestionably, it was a polar bear hunt. Wow. Um, that was, and I did shoot a big polar bear, uh, saw several polar bears, but just to be on the pack ice that far from uh, anything any sort of civilization and to see a wild polar bear was the entire experience you know with the inuit guides and the dog sled and you know everything about it was uh unquestionably the greatest adventure i've ever been on i guess mine for years i get is my bucket list the one i want and some people might think it's not at the biggest achievement but to me i think it'd be amazing is a caribou hunt a spot and stock with a bow in alaska well it is i mean listen it's uh you know and i think that's the great thing about hunting and hunters is and i think that's one thing we as hunters need to start getting back to a bit more which is when you look at the anti-hunting sentiment you know there's one thing that they're all united on stopping us period whether i think that your idea of a, a fabulous you know wonderful hunt being a caribou is the is a great adventure is not the point the point should be that i'm a fellow hunter and i support whatever it is that you want to do I mean, we see too many arguments. You, know, you see them on Facebook. You see, you know, uh, bow hunters versus gun hunters, and you know, stick. You know, you guys know what I'm. I mean, we, we've Tra- all seen traditional all versus will guys. Oh, yeah. yeah, we've seen all of this a million times. And you know, listen, I don't want to shoot a canned lion, but I support those. You know, if they want to do it, good for them. You know what I mean? I, I mean, as hunters, if we don't start coming together more, you know, we're fighting amongst ourselves while the antis are all fighting against us. And that's just that simple. Basically, we're yep. giving them uh, fuel for the fire. Well, I think not only are we giving them fuel for the fire, but you know, while you know, while they're trying to bake, break down the back door, you know, rather than us, uh, you know, fortifying the back door, you know, we're in we're in the middle of the fort, you know, trying to burn the fort down. 
Yeah, like husband and wife bickering. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying it's in all cases, but I think you guys know what I mean. I just I would like to see us as a community, you know, continue to come together a much greater. I mean, whether you're a trophy hunter, whether you're a meat hunter, whether you shoot squirrels or elk or I don't care what it is you hunt. If, if we don't start, you know, bantering around each other and helping each other, we're going to find that we are going to lose this battle. And, you know, our children and our grandchildren are never going to get the experience that we have as sportsmen today. Well said. Yeah. Is there anything that you do? Because that, that's a great spinoff topic. Is there anything that you got your, that you have your hand in that really is pushing for that next generation, the whole, you know, replace yourself. Well, <clears throat> I mean, listen, I don't, I don't personally have any children. So, you know, I don't, uh, I don't get that, you know, great sense of accomplishment of passing that, you know, directly on to my own kids. But, uh, you know, over the years, look, I've been, a, I, I've been a hunting guide for the last 25 years also. That's really how I got started. And I've had the, you know, great pleasure many times of guiding clients, kids and that sort of thing. And, and actually, I can't really mention it on air here yet. Uh, we are working on a new conservation organization that we hope to have up in about three to six months. In fact, we're right in the middle of it now. Uh, maybe we can do another one of these, and I can tell you when it comes out. But We'd love to. Um, absolutely, yeah. You know, that's yes. I mean, uh, at whatever level that somebody chooses to give back, you know, is really up to them. But I, I just think that if we don't continue to do that. You know, we're going to we're going to continue to lose the opportunity for the future. And really what you know, I think the part that people often miss about that is it's not just the opportunity for us to be hunters that we're going to lose, but the wildlife is going to lose, too. If we're not there to protect them, I mean, guys, who's going to be? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the funny is there's such a small, thin thread of how I even became a hunter because my father, he loves the meat. He'll eat any type of meat, but he's not a hunter um, in heart. He wouldn't. He couldn't do it. In his mind, is he would rather take a picture than actually shoot one. But um, my grandfather and uh, you know great grandfather, they were all hunters. They had guns. They passed along. My dad actually got rid of the guns when my grandfather passed away, and I was a young kid. He didn't want them in the house. He didn't want anything about them. But uh, luckily, our next door neighbor they were hunters and i saw them always constantly every year bringing in it was deer but i was fascinated over it and they were willing at at me being a young age and they were around 40 plus so i was the youngest kid their kids didn't even want to do hunting but i was interested they were willing to take me under their wing and start showing me what it's like to be a hunter and if it wasn't for them i mean i don't know if i would be a hunter because I, i never was exposed other than for them yeah, I mean, listen. I think that's the uh, I think that's the important part about you know uh, uh, others helping. I mean, if it wasn't for them, you know, like you say, you may never would have got the exposure that you did. And you know, for most of it, most of us, you know, it was our fathers or grandfathers or uncles or in some cases even our moms. You know, but uh, you know that's a prime example of how you know if we can just help others. You know, not only experience what we love, but, you know, show them that, you know, it has a lot of positive aspects to it. You know, I think we can continue that, you know, that generation moving along. But if we don't, you know, if we don't do that and if we don't come together just as a group of hunters in general, uh, I think we're going to continue to, you know, like I say, rather than, you know, rather than helping, we're, we're, we're sometimes we're burning our own house down. And, and I, I just don't see that being productive for the long term. No, not at all. Of all the years that you have been hunting. When was it that you decided that you wanted to hunt internationally? Probably from a very young age. 
you know, my father obviously is the one that introduced me to hunting, but my father, I would say, was a very uh, casual hunter. You know, we would do our annual once a year here in Colorado deer and elk hunt. My father was actually a big waterfowler, so I did lots of waterfowl hunting as a kid. But, you know, past that, that was about the extent of it. But for whatever reason, it just really... You know, it really gripped a hold of me, and I would, uh, you know, uh, uh, outdoor life, and and you know, so a lot of these magazines that were popular when I was a kid, which was 25, 30, 35 years ago, really. Um, I just remember, you know, reading them constantly, and uh, you know, watching, uh, you know, Wild Kingdom on television, and seeing the African lion and these sort of things, and so it just captivated me that, you know, as soon as I was able, uh, you know, I made my first trip to Africa when I was 23. And, oh, wow. and, and and save the money, uh, you know, all by myself, uh, save the money for a couple years and, and went and did it. And, and, you know, it was something that I'll always remember. But, yeah, it's just, you know, I can't really put my finger on it other than to just say that once I got the hunting bug from my dad, it developed into a much bigger bug than what he had. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a species, I mean, it, you're naming animal after animal through this whole thing. Is there a species that you haven't shot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots. I mean, you know, look, I mean, you know, the, uh, you know, as far as if you wanted to look at it from terms of, you know, some of the guys that are the species collectors around the world, I mean, I think they're, you know, well over 300 species. But I mean, it would be things that there would be some of them that even I couldn't name, you know, um, <laughs> I, I think I've killed a, I think I've killed a hundred and I don't know, 120 roughly species worldwide. Um, That's an impressive and, and, hit list. Well, and I mean, listen, most of it has been, you know, things that I really wanted to do. There's still a couple of animals uh, in Africa that I would like to uh, like to get that I haven't. I haven't yet hunted the mountain in Yala in Ethiopia. Um, I have hunted bongo. I just and I saw lots of bongos. Unfortunately, I just didn't see, um, you know, see one that was worth shooting. So I would like to do that. But the truth is, most of the stuff around the world that I want to do or wanted, I have. But you know, now I just want to do it again. So <laughs> <laughs> how, how many of those 120, 20 species have you taken with a bow? Oh, not, not many, honestly, just a few. Um, uh, probably less than, uh, probably less than 10. Okay. Um, you know, look, I, I, where I live and where I've lived my whole life, uh, I, I live in the city of Denver. So it's, it's been, it's probably a poor excuse, but it's been a difficulty and, you know, I can't just step out my back porch and practice with my bow. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's really an ordeal for me to go practice with my bow. So uh, I lately have become much more interested in actually bow hunting myself. I've spent, you know, again, I spent 25 years. I've guided, uh, I couldn't even tell you how many bow hunters I've guided, but I haven't been doing it as much, but lately... I've gotten much more into it. Uh, I did shoot a wild lion in Tanzania last year with a bow. That was big fun. And so, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to continue to do it a lot more. Was it harder? Because knowing you had to get closer? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, frankly, you know, it, it took us 15 days to get it done. And uh, Wow. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> talk That's about a commitment, yeah. I wouldn't say that it was... Honestly, I wouldn't say it was a lot more difficult uh, to get it done with a bow. You know, really what it was about was us, you know, with the lion that we shot, we actually watched him for four days at different circumstances just to make sure that he was, you know, what we felt was old enough and, and legal to, to, to be a lion that we could take. And, you know, once we determined that, 
you know, we, we, you know, got a ground blind set up and different things. And of course we were baiting him. So, you know, lions are, like I said, I mean, look, they're opportunists, man. They're going to take a free meal anytime they can. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, it was, look, it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. Would love to do it again. And, uh, you know, I've really become more in tune with bow hunting just because a lot of these things I have shot so much that it's going to give me another opportunity to challenge myself. Does that have any effect on the cost being that, I mean, I know sometimes being that it is more of a primitive way, the chances are maybe not as uh, effective. Is there a cost difference? No. No. Okay. No, no. In fact, in, 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 on the rare instance, it'll actually cost more to hunt with a bow uh, just because guys feel like it's taking more of their time and effort and energy, and which is true. But um, no, you don't usually get, uh, you know, look, what you're, you know, anytime you're buying a hunt, you know, I try to tell people this is, you know, when I'm selling hunts, I mean, you know, if you choose to go with a bow, that's great. You know, that's up to you. But, you know, you're you're not buying the animal, you're buying the opportunity to hunt. Right. And and the outfitter is still going to put in the same time, effort and energy, oftentimes with a bow hunter more. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the price, although your odds of success might be lower, you know, the price certainly shouldn't reflect that because you chose to go with that particular weapon. Does uh, price ever come into play on the type or size of animal? Like I, I heard on a few podcasts before, someone brought up the, the subject where the negativity aspect is that you technically can be like, it might cost $10,000 or $20,000 for this animal, but for an extra fifteen, you can get that one. Is that kind of what normally could happen out in there? Only in, look, that's only a case that happens, uh, you know, again, if we're talking, you know, let's, if we're talking Africa, for example, okay? okay, that's only a case that'll happen in South Africa on, on your high fence places, all okay. right? <laughs> so, so when you're hunting wild Tanzania, if we're going to go shoot a kudu, we're going to go shoot a kudu. If, if, he's, if he's 51 or 60 inches, he's going to be the same price. Okay, I mean, we're, we're hunting a wild kudu. If you go to South Africa and you want to shoot a 60-inch kudu versus a 50-inch kudu, my friend, I promise you, you're going to pay a difference. You know, and, <laughs> and, and, and the, same, the same holds true, you know, like we were talking earlier about the red stag in New Zealand. I mean, you know, if you want to go and shoot a 350 stag, okay, he's going to be X price. But if you want a 400 stag or a 430 stag, you know, it's going to be this price or this price. So... Yeah, I mean, uh, in certain circumstances, that certainly does play a role, but it's mostly in the case of the high fence stuff. When you're hunting wild areas, 99% of the time it's like, listen, we're hunting elephant today, you know, or this week or this month, we're going to find the very biggest elephant we can. And, and you know, you're going to pay the trophy fee, but the trophy fee is all the same. So South Africa is the Texas of Africa. <laughs> Look, I, I, I have said, I, no, I mean, you know, you guys, you guys laugh, but I've said this a, 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 a bunch of times. I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. But oftentimes I'll compare South Africa to just you, what you're doing is just taking a long flight to South Texas. That's so funny. <laughs> Well, you know, going into, you brought up about the guides. One of the things I've always, I've never really felt comfortable knowing or to even ask. The guides spend all their time, they're there with you day and night. They're doing the best they can to find you the best animal. What is, I know, it, I guess it depends on the location, the, the type of animal, but what is a reasonable amount as into for tipping wise? Like, are you supposed to, or do they expect it for one? Two, how much is reasonable and what would be unreasonable? Like, you just, that's way too much. You don't even need to think about that. Well, it's a, look, that's a really good question. And yes, 
uh, around the world now, guides have come to expect a tip. And, and I don't have any problem with that. I mean, listen, I'm a guide myself, so we all appreciate it. I think to answer the question would be, as far as an all-encompassing answer, would be very difficult. But here's what I would say. I would say as a general rule of thumb, you know, a lot of guys will look at a cost of a hunt and say, on average, we're going to tip our guide, you know, 10%, maybe 15% of the hunt cost. Okay. Okay. Now, obviously, the ability to do so, you know, depends on your financial position. Guides all understand, or they should understand, that a tip is just that. It shouldn't be expected, but it is an, an additional gratuity that we appreciate. So if a guy can tip you $300 or $3,000, you know, he's doing the best that he can. You know, so like I say, so based on that, I mean, you, you, you got to look at your own financial position and say, you know, I spent $10,000 on this hunt. If you can afford to, to tip the guy a grand, you know, if he, if he gave you a good service and you killed a nice animal and you're happy, do so. If you can only afford 500, well, you know, do the best you can. But um, the only thing I will tell, would say to people is don't insult the guide. I've had guys, I had a guy one time who had a great hunt, wanted to uh, tip me a sack of potatoes. Literally? Literally a sack of potatoes. Yeah, he was a potato farmer. So he thought I would (laughs) move over a sack of potatoes. Don't insult him. I mean, if you're going to tip him 50 bucks, just keep it. (laughs) Just don't bother at all. You know what I mean? But other than that, yeah, I mean, if it's, you know, and, and, I, and I know I said earlier, you know, you should appreciate anything, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, be reasonable, be respectful. Mm-hmm. You know, if all you can do is a few hundred dollars, you know, do so. But yeah, look, I mean, I've seen some guys on, you know, safaris and things. I've seen them get 10, you know, like I've seen, you know, I've seen guys get tipped, uh, you know, $30,000 guns. So, wow. Uh, yeah, I've seen that several times. <laughs> yeah, I just I always felt worried to like the thought of if I was ever out there and if some people in my situations, if I was able to ever go out there, it would probably be almost like a life savings to have that type of experience. And so, you know, that extra percentage of thinking ahead of how much more would either be the, I won't be able to go just thinking ahead because I couldn't afford it. Or if it was $300, if that was literally the bottom line, would they be, you know, uh, think negatively uh, at the end when I present that as like, this is my contribution as a thank you. And I never, always never knew what would be a good way of presenting something like that. No, listen, I mean, you know, most most guides, most professional hunters anywhere around the world, you know, are very in tune to their client. And they understand, look, a lot of them appreciate the guy that, you know, they appreciate more the guy that, you know, has to work for it, you know, earned it, uh, you know, saved and scrimped and that sort of thing. So when he can't tip the same money on the exact same hunt that the guy before him did because that guy is a multimillionaire, they totally understand that and oftentimes respect it more, to be honest with you. They know that, look, they're working guys too. They understand they can't, you know, they can't afford, most of them can't afford to do the hunts that they guide. So, yeah, yeah in, in, in most cases, you don't have to worry about that. You just do the best you can. And, you know, the, the best way you can respect a guide is, is you know, work hard on the hunt, you know, so that way, you know, uh, the opportunity to be successful is is going to be there when the time comes. So basically, don't almost assume they're going to do all the work for you, but participate and be part of the hunt through the reason of being there in the first place. Well, that's right. I mean, listen, you know, a guide can only do so much. I mean, he can't he can't shoot it for you. He can't carry you there. Right. You know, he can't make you see it. You know, he can't make you see the right one. I mean, you know, you certainly have to go, you know, the preparation that it takes to, you know, handle whatever elements 
that you're hunting in, whatever country, wherever you're going. And you, know, you have to go with a certain level of, uh, of, of confidence and ability to do your part. Um, you know, like I say, when the, you know, when your guide spots that big bull at 250 yards and he's kind of in the trees a little bit, I mean, you know, he'll do his best, but he can't make you see him and he can't make you shoot him. You know, you gotta, you know, you gotta be able to do that part yourself too. And if you can, obviously you're going to be more successful. Wow. Lots and <laughs> lots of, lots of information, you know, um, how much North American hunting do you do? A lot, a lot, love it. You know, obviously, my heart is in Africa, but but I've uh, I'm only a couple of species away from from uh, taking the the North American 29. Uh, I'll probably hope to finish it next year. Uh, most of them I've shot and uh, enjoy hunting, but I love it. I love hunting. I love hunting Alaska and Canada. You know, probably uh, the elk, the North American elk, will always be my favorite here. Uh, I love hunting big bull elk. I love hunting bears. You know, brown bears in particular. I've I've done a a number of brown bear hunts. I really enjoy doing that. But the, honestly, guys, you know, I, I'm probably like you guys. I mean, you know, if you called me up tomorrow and said, hey, man, we're going to go coos deer hunting down the street, I'd be like, well, let's go. Uh, <laughs> a ch- you know, chance I, to go hunting. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 love, I just love to hunt. Um, you know, I don't – I am a trophy hunter, I guess people would consider, because that's the part of hunting that I enjoy. I, I love – you know, matching wits with and trying to find the biggest thing out there. Doesn't mean I always do. Um, frankly, most times I don't. But that to me is the part of hunting that I enjoy. I love uh, I love seeing them. I love the pursuit. I love spot and stock. And I love trying to find the biggest one I can find in the woods. You know, it doesn't mean that my philosophy of hunting is the same for everybody or nor should it be. But, uh, you know, regardless of that, just the fact that, uh, you know, going hunting um, you know, is what, <clears throat> excuse me, is what really drives me to, you know, continue to try to be successful in life. So that, so I have the opportunity to do it. So here in Georgia, um, we're getting amped up because on the calendar, we are 40, 40 days away from opening of archery season uh, in Colorado. They open up, I think first, first season's end of August, I think. Um, that's right. That's right. So, well, you know, what do you have on your list? What's, what's that first hunt or what are some of the hunts you have scheduled that you're just you know, chomping in the bit. Can't wait for that morning to come. Well, look, I've got a, uh, I've got a Kansas whitetail tag that I'll archery that I'll probably start with. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I got that. I was lucky drew a, drew a tag and I'll probably start with that in uh, about the 10th of September. I think the season opens the 12th, but, uh, I'm going out there scouting again here in a couple weeks. And then, um, uh, gosh, what else? Let's see. I've got, you know, I've got an elk tag in Colorado, uh, I've got an antelope tag in New Mexico. Um, I've got a you know deer tag, obviously here in Colorado too. I've got a number of tags coming up that I'm looking forward to. I was actually supposed to do a tule elk hunt in California um, a few weeks ago, fifteenth uh, of July. The the outfitter called me and said that the elk hadn't moved into the ranch yet, so we're kind of on. In fact, they texted me today and said that the elk were next door. So I'm just kind of on a holding pattern waiting for a call, and I'll probably jump on a plane and, and fly out there and try to get a Thule elk. It's uh, the only elk that I haven't gotten yet. So I'll do that probably in the next few weeks, hopefully. But, I mean, guys, you know, listen, I mean, you know, I, I do hunt around the world, and I love it. But but to be very honest with you, I mean, I really, really get excited every year to hunt, you know, right here in the state that I grew up in in Colorado for deer and elk. I look forward to it as much every year as I look forward to any hunt I've ever been on. 
Are you? Do you prefer uh, hunting? I mean, being now that you're uh, in Africa, it seems to be obviously really hot. Being that it's a totally different weather change, the environment, everything that you do, which do you prefer when it comes to hunting? Do you like it more hot or do you prefer it to be more cold? No, definitely cold. <laughs> I'm not a, look, living here in Colorado, brother, I'm not... I'm not a hot weather guy, and so uh, some of those, you know, I've hunted in I've hunted in Central Africa a couple of times, and it is man, it'll average like 108, 109, and oh, just yeah, you walk gosh. all day. You, you know, we're tracking Eland and that sort of, and you'll literally walk seven, eight, nine hours a day in a 108, 109, 110 degree temperature. It's it's not a lot of fun. You know, I love the fall. I love the fall time here. You know, the weather's great. It's cool. And honestly, I think I'm a little different in the aspect of, you know, a lot of guys hunt for the camaraderie of, of hunting, and I enjoy hunting by myself. I love, I mean, I'm not saying I don't hunt with other people on occasion, I do, but truthfully, the majority of the time when I'm trying to get a tag or planning a hunt, I'm planning it by myself. I enjoy hunting by myself. I like the solitude. Uh, I like just being out there you know, with, with, you know, just with nature and that sort of thing. I really enjoy that. So not oftentimes will you see me in a camp or, you know, crowded around a bunch of people hunting. I just, uh, I, I prefer to be by, my, by myself. And it's funny, like Scott and I, we've been hunting for years together. And with all the best efforts we try to do to where we can hunt together, it ends up being we end up hunting solo. So I love the camaraderie aspect. I love that, you know, walking in or walking out and be able to talk about how that hunt is, even if it wasn't as successful as in taking an animal. Because to me, any hunt being out in the woods is successful. But uh, being able to share is the cool part I love. But it seems like all the attempts that we've done, especially recently, has <laughs> yeah. been only solo hunting. <laughs> We, we always end up, uh, the only place we get to usually go hunt together is, is WMAs, which, you know, in, in Georgia, that's that's the toughest hunting that you can do here because you are you have to figure out where everyone is, where people aren't. And luckily, a good number of the hunters in Georgia will walk about mm, 100, uh, 200 yards in the WMA, and that's where their stand is. So if you're willing to walk a mile to a mile and a half in, uh, you got a lot better success rate. But it's... It's, it's helped us with kind of figuring out how to hunt smart and hunt high-pressured high pressured whitetail. Well, it's funny that you say that. Here's, <clears throat> here's a philosophy that I have about hunting, and I say this to a lot of people when I, when I go with them, especially when I hunt with other guides. You know, oftentimes, you know, a guide, he wants you to be successful as much or more so than you do. But I will tell him, you know, especially as I continue to get older, I mean, you know, I'm not quite as physically capable now as I was 20 years ago. I mean, I still do it and get after it, but, you know, we all continue to age. And, you know, I have a, I have a big philosophy about that, which is always hunt smarter, don't hunt harder. Mm-hmm. You know, the harder you push, the, the more you want. I mean, and I think you guys know what I mean. It's not to insinuate you don't hunt hard. Of course you do. But you don't every day that it doesn't work, go a mile further or, a, or, a, or a, you know, an hour longer. I mean, if, if you know this is the way that it generally is successful, stick to that pattern and don't get frustrated and do something else just because you're you know you're two or three or four days into it and it hasn't worked yet that trying harder doesn't always equivalent to just making sure that you're hunting smarter set a plan and and hunt the plan that's exactly right that's exactly right yep that's phenomenal well you know good luck this season we definitely love to check back in with you you know as the season goes on and and you hopefully you get get the elk species you haven't gotten and, and get a few more hunts under your belt. Um, 
I'm sure you have some great North American stories and we'd love to have you back on and, and talk through some of those. Guys, listen, I mean, I would love to. I enjoy speaking with you guys. I, I like to see, you know, young, hardworking guys like yourselves trying to, you know, make a niche for yourself, not only in the industry, but in the, you know, just the world of hunting in general. You know, it reminds me a lot of myself when I was young and, and you know, trying to, you know, be successful at doing this. So, yeah, I very much enjoy talking with you guys. I certainly would love to do it again. And if I can uh, can be of service, please let me know. It's been a real pleasure. Uh- if anyone's wanting to know more about you or stay in touch, like what are some of the ways that they can reach out? Um, well, they can certainly try to contact me you know, via my website, which is Global Hunting Resources or www.huntghr.com. That would certainly be one way. You can, uh, you can certainly look me up on Facebook. I'm just a, uh, I just have a normal personal Facebook profile. Believe it or not, I've I've done the uh, the public po- profile or public person things or whatever the heck it is on Facebook. And I've done it. Guys, I've done the Instagram thing a bunch too, but I'll tell you the interesting story is, you know, the anti-hunters are after me so bad all the time for all my lion hunting that they have, uh, they sh- every time I put up an Instagram page, they will hack it and shut it down. Wow. Uh, They've shut down my Facebook page a couple of times, so I've just found that, you know, as much as I would like to be out there more in the mainstream media to, you know, solicit myself, my opportunities, my business, and of course just, you know, share in in the hunting world, as soon as I get, you know, more mainstream, if you will. I mean, look, I tried Twitter once. I mean, that was a disaster. (laughs) I don't take it personal. It doesn't bother me. I could care less what they say. They just make it to the point to where I can't do anything with it. It becomes such a, uh, you know, such a a pain. Yeah, it becomes such a burden that it's just not worth doing. So, but yeah, certainly check out my website. You know, they can they can look for our YouTube channel, which is uh, Vision Quest. And um, you know, other awesome. than that, Aaron Nielsen, man, I'm I'm not that hard to find. Something on Vision Quest is watching watching through a bunch of the videos, and there's some awesome cinematic footage throughout throughout all of it, oh, throughout yeah. all of it. Great, it builds suspense phenomenally. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, to see the full episode of the Muskox because that's just it builds up all of the drama into these hunts. And your team does a phenomenal job with it. I think it's going to be a, a huge hit. Yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think we're going to get you know we're going to get some good stuff this fall. You know, we've got some good uh, you know some good hunts coming up and, and some good stuff that we're doing. And of course, the footage that we already have. It's just you know unfortunately from. You know, from from film time, you know, hunt time to, you know, production and air time, you know, when you're trying to get all that stuff done, it just takes a while. But, you know, we're slowly working into this progress of of getting this thing going mainstream on, you know, online, if you will. And I I think it'll I think it'll be fun. We'll keep you guys uh, posted on it. That's awesome. We we appreciate it. Um, Are you going to be at ATA? Do Do you do shows like that? You know, normally what I do is I do uh, Dallas Safari Club. I do uh, SCI. Um, you know, I haven't done. Uh, I've never actually been to ATA to be honest with you, but I've been thinking about coming. So there's a. I, I certainly can't make any guarantees, but but something that I, that I've got on my list for this year. It's a fun fun experience. So I've heard. 
(laughs) (laughs) The bad part is, is you wish you, you know, you walk in, you're like, man, I just wish one of these things, I could just have another one of those things. And then, uh, it it really hypes you up for the season, but then you realize I just don't have the pocketbook for everything. (laughs) Yeah. That's the, that's the problem with those gigs, you know, is like I say, I, you know, I, I exhibit and do, you know, some of the safari club shows and the same thing. I walk in there and I'm like, man, I wish I had more money. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, thank you so much. You know, taking the time. I know you're definitely busy and you're doing a whole lot, but coming on our show, sharing some of the knowledge you have to our listeners, I learned a whole lot. And I hope I think Scott as well, but um it was a real pleasure having you on. Absolutely. No, listen. No, listen, guys, thank you very much. It was a real pleasure. It was a real honor to be asked to do so. And, uh, you know, would love, you know, anytime I can help you guys more in the future, you know, don't hesitate to ask. Really, really enjoyed it. And thank you very much for your time as well. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. And, you know, we're all about, we want to help this, the industry grow. We want to help kind of tighten it, all of these groups together, because we are kind of splintered into all of our own little niches. And while we're a bow hunting podcast at the same point, you know, a hunter's a hunter is a hunter, and right. we want to try and bring them, bring them together a little bit more than than we have been. That's right. I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, thank you guys very hey. much. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, boys and girls, you have now heard the two episodes that we've done with Aaron Nelson so far to date. I cannot wait to bring him back on because as you've heard on from episode 38, when it's solid information about what's going on in Africa, I feel smarter already. But then episode 39 going into what like the Northern America and different types of hunts that are just not African based. There's so much this guy knows. And Scott and I learned so much. I hope you did too. And if you liked this episode just as much as like you did in episode 38, We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what your thoughts were. If you go to our iTunes account, how you reached it is going to mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes. Right there, it'll allow you to have the ability to give us your review. Let us know what you think. And you know, this two, or excuse me, these two episodes are so packed full of information that any hunter that you might know that could benefit from this, share it. Go to your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, something, and share these episodes. Let the people you know know about because honestly, as you've been hearing what's going on in uh, the hunting industry, we're getting beaten down with by antis pushing and pushing, and we need to have some people understand what's really happening into the uh, third world countries, even into our Northern America, and seeing what is possible if we can all at least start sticking together, hunters from bow hunters to uh, rifle to spear if you haven't heard about that you might want to take a look but uh there's a lot of things that we just don't know and having someone on to share their knowledge that really understands the situation is great and aaron nelson really understood it so um you know please by all means go to these episodes share them with your friends follow us on facebook twitter instagram we're building those up and i guess that's it stay tuned for the next episode and um i think that's it i'm your host travis doe you're listening to the bow Rush podcast i'm out of here